It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you doing? How was your trip? My trip was great. Um, we got to run away and uh, not have to deal with technology or anything else. I did still actually, the one thing that I did do is I had a couple of different listener question type things that came through either on social media or email. And so I did try to to take like every other day to stop and, and make sure to catch up on those so that they didn't get left behind or lost because I was afraid that if I didn't by the time seven days elapsed and got, you know, passed, I would be like, oops. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that happens to me a lot. Yeah. yeah. I read it through my phone and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that. And then I never get back to it. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, in a message, it's really, it's really easy to do that. So I try to go through, like, if it's an email, I can mark it as unread, but if it comes mm-hmm. through on social media or something else, well, then it's like, oh, you know, it's there. I need it's to remember done. to go back and it's do it. Done. So, yeah, exactly. yeah. So I got to do it right then. But no, the, the trip was great. It was beautiful. Uh, it was kind of nice to get out and and go visit the mountains and see the pretty colors changing and the leaves and whatnot. So that was fun. Um, I did have, so speaking of leaves changing colors, it is in the United States for us here in the Northern Hemisphere. It is now officially fall. And we are in the first part of October of technically, if you want to be very specific, 2021. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a couple of things is like, literally, as soon as I got back yesterday, I got a phone call. Well, on Saturday, technically, I got a phone call on uh, the beeline from the local county fire department. And they had bees that had moved in to the firehouse. And they needed somebody to come out and get them ASAP. And so I ended up spending Sunday going through and doing all of those types of fun things and had another call come in for another swarm that both of them had happened at the same time. Basically, they had both occurred on week wise, I guess it would have been Friday. Mm -hmm. And then they started calling to try to get somebody to come out on Saturday because they weren't sure if they were going to like stay or go or whatever. And in the instance of the fire station, there was one teeny tiny little comb. That's all they had accomplished in, in just over maybe 48 hours of being in there, which I was actually surprised the swarm itself. If you took them and balled them all up, they might have been the size of like a cantaloupe. Okay. Maybe they, in the greater scheme of things, especially like our summertime swarms and our spring swarms, they weren't nowhere near that big. Um, I did find the queen in the first one. She happily crawled right out onto the fascia board. And so I was able to just nab her right off there. And the second one was a little bit larger. So maybe one and a half times the size of the first swarm. They had three comb. They had one that was probably pushing about six inches um, from top to bottom and three or four inches across. And then they had two tiny ones on either side of that. And they were an open air colony. They actually oh, had no. landed on a soffit, but didn't go into the soffit. They just started building on the outside there. So oh, they, they would have, they, they would have be been doomed. doomed. Yes, yes. They would have been doomed had winter come and they were still that way. But that brings up a subject that 
kind of sometimes, you know, we, we overlook, and this is something that Ken and I had talked about a few times, but there was an old adage and I really wish I could remember the whole way that it actually plays out, but it's like a swarm. Yes. Yeah. Is uh, I forget what I know. The swarm in July is not worth a fly. Exactly. That's how, and that's the point. That's how it ends is, you know, that swarm in July, anything from there on, it's not really worth it. So a lot of times you got beekeepers, you know, like especially Mr. Milam, who is who's all super excited anytime he gets a swarm and he sees bees and he wants to go out there and catch them. And you kind of have to stop and ask yourself whether or not it's worth it. You know, yes, you're you're saving that colony. And yes, it is a swarm from from somewhere. But are they going to be able to survive? And depending on where you're at for us down here in the southern states, it's questionable for people in the northern states it's highly unlikely. And so, you know, is it worth your time to go out and do those types of things from the removal perspective? We usually shut down operations in late September, early October. And that's because when we go in there and we open it up and we take everything out of that cavity, we're destroying a lot of the things that they've worked really hard to do. And I usually only keep four comb of the life stages and we don't keep any of comb of the food because that attracts hive beetles and pests and things in there while the bees are not really wanting to guard and defend because they're all discombobulated and upset and been put into a new container they didn't choose. So it's not really setting them up for success whenever that occurs. So if we do a late removal, we usually try to identify a colony that it can be combined with to go through and bolster it. And that's something that can be considered for swarms as well. If you do catch a swarm, maybe you can do some sort of combination with a smaller colony that was questionable whether or not it would actually make it through, you know, those winter months. And I know that you had said over the weekend, you were actually out there doing those types of evaluations, deciding what needed to be combined and and what didn't. So what, what are your thoughts? Like when it comes to that old adage, you know, a swarm after July isn't worth a fly. Do you think that they can serve a purpose or is it, you know, not worth the time and effort that it would take? Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, you said wildebees, blah, blah, blah. And I heard wallabies because wallabies. I to so many Australians. I was just completely on that zone. So, so for all you mates down under, there happy you go. spring. We're, we're thinking about <laughs> you guys. And you guys have the good swarms, the, sw- the spring swarms. We're, we're looking at the late uh, fall swarms. So my thoughts on that is, yes, uh, you can always combine. You can always add bees to your existing colonies. What I'm looking at, and I was just, um, was it Saturday? I was pulling out a similar swarm out of um, compost bin. There's a lot of compost bin swarms at this time of the year. And they had the same thing, just a kind of small comb and two little ones. I found the queen, everything went into the box. I will take them and I'll tell you why. Uh, It's easier for beekeepers like you and I to do this. It's not as easy for beginners because they don't have the resources that it takes. Yep. But I have a, a whole freezer worth of, drunk home of worker size cells. I have um, frozen um, honey combs. I have, you know, the, the resources that I can spare. And when I've got those swarms, what I'll do is I'll give them that drone comb. I'll, I'll feed them emergency feeding if there's no nectar coming in. And I'll try to get them to kind of brood up and make enough bees before uh, the cold temperatures come in. We still have a good month and a half, I think, 
So there's still potential if I give them those resources, that right. home for them to rear brood and um, start putting some pollen and things like that in there. By the way, you can freeze pollen. Uh, I was asking the PhD student of Dr. Rangel uh, yeah. when we had the B school. No, that was what her name, I, for, I forget what, what's her name, but she was saying basically, yes, you can freeze bee bread and we use it for the bees. Initially, I thought that would kill off, you know, the, um, the lactophilus, the, the what, it, what you call the those bacteria. Things. Mm-hmm. the probiotics that are yeah. in there and uh she said no actually you can feed that back to the bees and it will be valuable to them so if you have those resources whether it be drone comb especially and a worker comb uh in particular and and honeycombs and potentially some pollen you can kind of give them a couple three combs you give them one a week you kind of wait to see what they're doing with it if they're brooding up uh, you can also if you have strong colonies do some of that equalizing um, and just steal a comb of capped root with bees on the nurse bees and give them that and boost them up that way. That would probably be one of my first steps along with the drone comb because I think at that point they have numbers that they can use to try to collect more of those resources and raise uh, those winter bees coming up uh, for the winter. Now the important thing to remember when we do that is that those donor colonies that, are, uh, that have enough capped root and nurse bees you don't want to take too much out of their spores because what happens is they're really counting on those generations of bees, in particular nurse bees, uh, to kind of, uh, they have a plan, right? They've got their, their factions, they've got the foragers, they've got the nurse bees, they've got everything is kind of planned according to what their resources are currently uh, showing. And if you take a comb of uh, captive root and nurse bees, you're really taking a cohort of workers that they were counting on. So in their project plan, all of a sudden they've got a gap. And that means that their bees are going to have to, the other remaining bees are going to have to adapt to that gap in the project plan and fill in the blanks. So that means they're going to stretch thin on the other areas of the project plan, meaning foraging or, you know, uh, brood rearing and things like that. And, um, so you have to be very conscious of that when you do that. I think it's a totally valid way uh, as long as you have all the resources and, and more than you need to boost those colonies up. And then comes winter and the temperature's coming down, worst case scenario, they, they haven't picked up enough and then you can combine them. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, and that's basically how I kind of go through and do it as well. But you're right, the key point there is how many available resources do you have at the ready that you can use to supplement this? If you're a brand new beekeeper and this is going to be your second colony, mm-hmm. maybe not. And yeah. if you started with like a Langstroth and you want to use this swarm to put into a top bar, definitely yeah, not. That's not happening. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to do that. So what I did in both of these situations is very similar to actually what you said. I went through and I took one comb of capped brood with the nurse bees on it from a strong top bar and put it into my top bar nuke box. And then I took one empty drawn comb that didn't have anything going on and put it in there. And then I put the bees in there and I gave them a feeder. And I will allow them to go through and see what they do because since how they are a fresh swarm, they are primed to want to draw that wax. Mm -hmm. And it is here for us. It is still warm enough for them to do so. So I'll see what they do and what they manage to accomplish. And when it's all said and done, if they, if they, by some miracle of a chance, end up filling up their nuke box, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be fine. But if they don't, what I'll do is any other nukes that are right along that same line, 
I'll go through and I'll evaluate all of them and I'll say, okay, I've got four of them here. They each only have two or three comb, but this one has done the best on drawing, the best on laying. They have the best temperament. The queen seems to be the healthiest. That's going to be the one that'll become the parent. And the others, I'll take those queens out and I will combine, you know, three or four into one. And I'll end up with one colony that has about 10 things of comb that is more than sufficient for them to make it through the winter. Exactly. And then they're good to go. And they're headed by that queen that I felt out of all of them had done the best. Yeah. And so, to specify, you'll remove those other queens. Yes. Right. I, I take the queen. So if you've got four colonies, I will pick the one queen out of the four that I feel has performed the best of the colony that's performed the best. She will stay. That'll become the main colony that'll go into a full-size box. And then the other three queens, they all go away. They get mm-hmm. they get axed out of there. Um, then I take the comb and I actually do, when I'm doing those types of combinations, I don't do a newspaper. I make it very confusing. Every other comb comes from I a different colony. Yeah. yeah, I don't bother with a newspaper no. ever. When it, when it comes to, to mixing so many different things, it's very easy to actually go through and say you've got your, your parent colony I'm going to give them the first two or three and make sure the queen's up there in the front of that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm going to go colony two, one comb from there, colony three, colony four, and then start back over colony one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And you mix it up so that every comb smells every different than the comb shoes. before it. Yes. Every bee smells different than the bee before it. They're so confused. A bit. Yes. Yeah. There's no, there's no fighting when that occurs. And you don't have to go through and spray them with something to make them all smell the same because you've done just the opposite. Everything smells different. different. So there it's just chaos and confusion and it actually works. So right. that's kind of what the, the end road for me will be for these, these two swarms that I caught here just this weekend. And then any of the other small nukes that are not, you know, maybe up to par, they'll get evaluated and they'll be combined. And that's also why sometimes my numbers can, can drastically fluctuate. So I can go into winter initially with 40 to 50 colonies but then after i do my combinations i may have 20 right <laughs> Cause, right because i will go yeah. yeah i will go and i will do some serious combining and pack those up so that i know i've got big strong healthy colonies with lots of numbers and plenty of food to make it through that winter month and then or the winter months i wish it was just one month um and then at the end of it i can turn around and i can divide those back out and split them if need be you know for for that next year it works for me too because i don't want to have you know 100 colonies that i've got to go out there and figure things out with so combining down to half of my normal operating size and then splitting back out in the spring right. perfectly fine for me when there's a couple of thoughts that come to my mind the first one is you were saying not using any kind of smells like i would assume you were referring to things like essential oils yeah where people mix in something with like a sugar syrup or something and they missed them with either the water or the syrup yeah so as a natural beekeeper people always uh, often say they want to use essential oils here's my thing on that first of all um, they will coat the inside of the gut of the bees when they are ingested and they're not good for the microbiota and therefore their immune system. So that's something that I try to avoid naturally. Uh, the concentrations are usually higher, but yes, when you d- dilute it into a spray, it's kind of moot. Uh, the other aspect of things is that wax is lipophilic and it will absorb uh, essential oils into it. And since bees are using pheromones to communicate uh, those will leave residue in the wax that might interfere with those communication messages. So I don't want to use those essential oils or any other uh, substance that's foreign to the beehive, except potentially some sugar syrup in case of 
emergency feeding or some smoke to kind of distract them a little bit, which is also in itself a foreign substance. So, but I, I very little bit, not much. Um, the other aspect of things is that when you're, when you're doing that combination, if you're using a comb of brood and covered with even, so if there's no nurse bees on there, there's no worries of any fighting if it's right. just from one comb. And then even if you have nurse bees on there, they're very unlikely to fight. So you can just give those bees out to um, the colony in question, put it near their brood's nest or wherever uh, they've got any little bit of, of, of brood and then they should be fine. They shouldn't fight with the house bees or the queen. So that's the way I kind of look at it with that. Um, the other thing is you want to, you know, that strategy works really well because you're cutting your, uh, your losses in the fall only to split back in the spring. And I think that uh, there's something to be said about doing splits for natural beekeeping ways to curb the mites or any of the brood diseases and issues you can find with your bees. If you're doing natural beekeeping, and I know that's my soapbox, but uh, <laughs> you want to, you know, you want to make sure that you do some of those uh, splits and let the bees adapt to the cycles of weather and forage so that they have some of those brood breaks. And I was just watching a video from Kim Flodum. Uh, he's pretty famous. He does all the bee, bee culture magazines, bee culture, written yeah. the books, yeah, all this stuff. And he's cool. And I, I wrote it down because I thought that was fantastic. Midsummer splits is the best varroa control there is, bar none. So, and he's an experienced beekeeper. He's widely recognized in the world of beekeeping. And, and that's exactly right. I think that's the, one of the best ways. I know that um, people that promote treatments will say, well, brood breaks don't work. Actually, that does work because it sets back those pests and diseases back so much that it really helps out quite a bit, actually. One of the other little caveats to that, too, is the there's a misnomer in regards to fall splits. Mm -hmm. And when you hear the term fall and you hear the term splits, it immediately kind of brings to mind the fact that you are splitting your colonies in the fall. But in reality, your fall splits happen in the summer. They don't the happen in the, the fall. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't they, they don't happen in the fall. So doing a split in October is, is highly ill-advised. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but if you do that split in like July or August, then you've done that split and it's going to be a nuke that will grow up through the fall. Right. But you didn't physically do the act of splitting it in the fall. So there's there is something there that is a little kind of outdated, you know, conceptions with it, because we go by the terminology, but the terminology right. is, it, it's misleading. So I do late fall, early, fall, uh, no, late, uh, late summer, early fall uh, splits, where I do a lot of them in September, when I've got, I get a better idea of where my uh, dearth is sitting and what's coming into the nectar flow, what I can anticipate is coming. And what I, when I do those end of the season splits and, and you know that's the advice that a lot of uh, new beekeepers don't always uh, catch is you want to really make those splits fat so a minimum of five combs minimum of you know two two of uh, food and and minimum of three of brood but also you want to shake a whole lot of bees in there as well yep. so you're taking that queen and then whatever is left in that donor hive you take that queen the those resources the three brood and the to food at minimum, if not more. And then you want to shake those bees in. So when you do that, you can shake almost all the bees that are in that hive, going a little bit counter to what I was saying, because you're really throwing them off. They're getting out to raise a new queen and they've got none of those bees that were in there. 
but they're going to get all the foragers back yep. because you're leaving that in place. And so they're going to have those resources. Some of those bees are going to revert back. Yes, you're putting stress on them, but you're doing other things like those brood breaks, which is going to curve back some of the pests and diseases. So that kind of compensates with some of that stress by helping them out with some of those stressors. Well, and if you're doing it in uh, the very first week or two of September, you're also doing it before our fall flow for here in the exactly. central Texas reason. It starts mid to late September, goes through October and part of November. So you're giving them time to still recoup resources. Right. And if they've got enough young bees, they may be able to still draw wax. But the whole point of that, like you said, the fat split on that or a heavy split is the simple fact that you can't just do like in the spring, you can literally do like a comb with the bees and eggs and larvae and a comb two of food and call it good. Yeah. You can it. have yeah. two combs, two frames, call it good yeah. and let them grow. You can't yeah. do that in the fall. If you're going to do a split in the fall, it has to be an equal split. Exactly. So you open it up. And if there's, if there's, you know, four things of brood, well, two brood in each box. And if there's right. 10 things of food, each box gets five things of food. Right. And you know, that's how you have to go through and do that. And then yes, always overcompensate because the split box that you're going to move somewhere else, all of those older foragers are going to leave and they're going to go right back to their original programmed oriented home. So if right. you overcompensate, you're going to get all the nurse bees in the other box right. and the younger bees, they'll stay even though the foragers go back. Plus the brood will emerge in that original box as well that you've left behind. And then yeah. you'll have some younger bees there too. You did also mention reverting and some people don't necessarily realize this, but your foragers if they absolutely have to, they can actually reinvigorate their wax glands mm -hmm. and they can reinvigorate some of the glands that they use to actually produce the brood food and the royal jelly. And mm -hmm. so they can digress backwards in their work cycle and age and mm -hmm. fill the role of a younger bee if there are no younger bees present. And that often happens a lot of times in a swarm anyway. Uh, you end up with a mixed match of bees and they've got to change roles while they make that new colony. So right. it does work. The only thing that really catches that is going to be your temperatures. If right. there's no exactly. food coming in and if it's too cold, they won't draw wax, which is why you can't do a light split. It's got to be heavy, equal yeah. amounts. Resources. Yeah. If you're putting them in a nuke box, be it, you know, if it's a, if it's a Langstroth and it's going to be a five frame box, there needs to be five solid drawn frames in there. Mm -hmm of stuff going on. If it's a top bar, my top bar nuke boxes are about eight to 12 bars. Mm -hmm. And if it's an eight bar box, it needs to have eight bars of comb in it to make mm -hmm. sure that it's good to go. So, but yeah, that's, that's absolutely something that can be done. And if you've got more than one colony, regardless, if it's something that you just started off with, if it was a swarm or a split, or if it's a colony, you've been, you know, helping along all year long, if you've got more than one and they seem iffy, combine them make them one solid big colony for that winter because ultimately you have a better chance of both of them surviving as one colony than you do if you leave them separate and run the risk of possibly losing them both. So you're, you're, it's what you mentioned, cutting your losses early. You're going ahead and saying, I'm going to have just one hive and I'm going to ensure that one hive survives so that in the spring I can divide it back into two versus, well, I've got two and I want two, but they're both kind of iffy. And then ultimately something happens and neither of them survive. Right. So it's, it seems scary, but when you think about the actual numbers of it, you're actually ensuring that you've got a colony coming out of winter right. versus question marks coming right. out of winter. Or you're increasing your chances anyway, because there's yeah. never any kind of insurance there. Uh, you never know what can happen. We had that 
horrible winter storm that's true that could have been really catastrophic for some of those uh, you know colonies but uh, the other thing i wanted to um touch upon was that you can um when you're splitting and you're giving in all those resources you can you don't have to take it all from one donor colony. You can take it from several colonies. And we were touching a little bit to that earlier, but also that uh, highlights the importance of having much more colonies than just one or two. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot easier to beekeep and be successful beekeeper uh, in your first year and in your second years and all the years afterwards, if you have more colonies, you have the luxury to have all the resources that you need to equalize and combine and do all kinds of things. A little bit akin to you have an aquarium in your house, right? When you have a small aquarium, uh, every mistake takes a proportion and it can be catastrophic. The larger the aquarium, the more uh, uh, dilution of the impact of problems you have on that environment. It's more able to rebalance uh, itself. And I yep. kind of like to equate that to the number of colonies that you have or the number of homes that you have in each colonies because you're kind of diluting the impact of each of those errors and yeah. those, uh, problems so That's... the other the other part i wanted to mention uh we're talking about equalizing and combining i wanted to 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 make sure people understand how much easier it is when you're doing horizontal beekeeping whether it's with a long, long length trough or a horizontal top hive a canyon top we call those KTBH, KTBH, Kenyan Tabar Hives, right? The ones that have the slanted walls. Uh, there's some people on Facebook that were nitpicking about the, the naming convention. It is KTBH, but for short, we say Tabar Hives, right? Um, and then, so when you're taking combs out and, and giving it to other colonies, you're not worrying in a horizontal configuration about having to replace those, those um, bars or those combs and vice versa. When you have a weak colony, uh, you can give it as many combs as you want and expand it in that horizontal configuration. It, it is really avoiding the whole, uh, what I call musical frames uh, game being played, especially when you have several boxes up and down that can have an impact on the configuration of your bees. That brings up another point, by the way. You don't want to do any of those uh, strong manipulations and exchanges too late in the fall. Because the bees, again, have their plan. They're arranging their brood's nest and their resources according to what they're planning for ahead of time for the winter and potentially into the spring. So if you move too much of that or if you put the resources in the wrong place and you really disrupt their plans, you're actually putting them in danger of not making it through the winter. So it's something that um, I'm assuming you do as well, right? You pay attention yeah. to that and don't do that too late. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so... In a Langstroth box, it's very easy to screw that up because you you're if you're still trying to get him to draw a comb, you're putting these boxes on top and you're wanting him to move up and draw out that comb. The only reason they're really doing that is because you've invalidated their B space. Mm -hmm. You know, they they want the the top of their colony is going to be at the top of the cavity, and the cavity have, in nature doesn't magically have another void above it. You haven't just invalidated it; you have violated. They violated it. That's that's true. That's actually a great. Yeah, it's not an invalidation. It's a yeah. violation. Yeah. And so you've gone through and you've, you've added this extra box and they've started drawing stuff out. But if they don't complete that process, what you've done is you've left an empty void above their head that normally wouldn't be there, that the heat is going to escape to. And as they naturally move up in the winter, they're going to move into basically a desert where there's mm -hmm. no comb for them to use. There's no food up there. So Thermodynamics of that are horrible. Right. And there's a, empty. yeah, you just get this empty space. And so even if there's foundation 
that's nothing to a bee. The only thing that counts for a bee is drawn comb that can be mm -hmm. utilized. Empty foundation and frames or empty bars, that doesn't count. It's not empty space, yes. Right. So you go through and you do that. If you don't take that off of there in, in enough advance to know, okay, this isn't going to work, they're not going to be able to really plan, like you were saying, and, and accommodate what they need to do. They can survive in a single deep box. If you allow them to yeah. pack it, what they're going to do is they're going to have their arc of honey across the top. Mm -hmm. And then all of the, the frames or the, all of the comb on the outer walls are going to be solid honey. And they're going to take themselves and basically surround them with this insulation of food yeah. so that they're well protected. And it's okay to go through and actually do that and know that they're going to be able to survive because again, the bees know best, right? Mm -hmm. We have these other ideas and, and things that we try to force them into. We, we want more comb. We want more boxes. We want a bigger colony. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just not in the cards. The, there's not enough young bees or the temperature's not right, or there's not enough incoming food. And so they don't draw the comb out as fast as we would like them to, but it doesn't mean that they're not doing what's best for them at that specific moment. Mm -hmm. So You've got to be able to intuitively go with that. The thing about a horizontal style hive or a top bar hive or a Kenya hive or like any, whatever you want to call it, all of those styles of hives, the roof is always the roof. It's never yes. going to change. You're not going to suddenly have this void of space above it. So they can go through and they can pack that in the way that they need to. If you go and you move a bar or a frame over that's empty drawn comb and you put that into the brood's nest to help expand it, it's not necessarily as big of a deal because they can mm -hmm. immediately fill that with either brood or food. food. And if it comes to the point where it's not been done, you can then shuffle things around if needed with still without actually touching the brood's nest and all yeah. the things that they've done, you can manipulate those outer ends and not have as big of a consequence or an effect to it. Yeah. And, you know, I don't ever use them, but for people that have like the follower boards or the one to divide things down, if you did end up with a colony that had, 20 combs in it initially, and they end up using five or 10 comb for the brood nest. And then maybe only five more comb for the honey. And the other five starts going into winter empty and you're worried about it. You could take those and move them over or take them out and freeze them and put mm -hmm. that follower board or that divider in there to block it off and narrow their space down. But you still didn't disrupt or change what they exactly. had originally designed inside that colony. And yeah. that's, that's the best way. And I've said this, I think, on a couple of different episodes here with you and I before, and I've definitely said it on the podcast. And I say it to people when they, they send in questions all the time. But if you're ever stumped, stop and think, what would the bees do in nature if I was not here to intervene? And, you know, if they're in a tree cavity, once they've filled up that cavity, it's full. Nobody's going to come along and add another section to the cavity That's for right. them to draw more comb or make more honey. And they survive. That's their natural habitat. We have created boxes that a, a single deep Langstroth box, a 10 frame box, is all the space a natural colony would ever exactly. need, period. That's about 40 litters. Yeah. You know, you don't need any more than that. And we look at it and we see these towers of boxes. Those are for us. Mm -hmm. That's not for the bees. Right. And so don't look at that tower of boxes and be like, oh, but they need. No, they don't. They, they, they will don't. be OK they really if you accommodate their needs and make sure that they're healthy going into winter and strong and they've got food. They don't have to have 12 boxes to accomplish that. Well, I would argue they will do better if they're compacted in that 140 little box, in that single box, uh, deep one, because they've got that concentration of brood and food exactly uh, around them. Whereas if you're, again, extending the space, you're diluting that and you're adding to the thermodynamic 
issues that you have, that chimney effect that happens in the winter with the vertical boxes that are so poorly insulated. They're three quarter of an inch, you know, wood, and that doesn't provide enough insulation around the box and certainly not enough on the top. So you have that uh, rise of the heat and um, it's, it's going away from the brood's nest. So the more space you have above the brood's nest, in a Langstroth hive anyway, the worse off the bees are because that heat that they're working so hard to generate to keep the brood's nest warm is immediately going up into that space above their head and not getting insulated from um, the, the outside environment like it would be in a, in a, in a tree. Uh, I think the R value, depending on the thickness of the tree, can reach up to 11 in the, in the tree cavity, which can be anywhere from, from you know, a thin, uh, piece of uh, wood to like really chunks of wood that yeah. big and that really makes a difference when you have this much pine wood in the in the vertical box that really throws them off in a horizontal um, uh, configuration that bird's nest is sitting right underneath the bars with a little bit of honey on top and that heat that rises instead of escaping uh, away and not being reused is pluming under the bars and just spreading horizontally and keeping a much larger area warm, basically, especially where the honey is located. So it's it's kind of a, a something to keep in mind and consider. You were talking about what would the bees do? I think we should come up with a, a sticker that says WWTBD. <laughs> what would the bees do? <laughs> and kind of like you know give that to every new beekeeper. <laughs> that's a, that's actually that's a great. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll turn that into a shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What would the bees do? So I've got, I actually have a new shirt. I'm not wearing it at the moment. I'm wearing my, my regular old school hive jive junkie shirt. Um, but I do screen in the back. It does. I, matching, and I was yeah. like, Oh, there's little red cherry blossoms. I'll wear my red <laughs> shirt. Um, but I did, uh, I did actually get the proof back this, uh, it was waiting for me when I got home after my little vacation trip. And it is the, it's called a drone's life Aww. and it's a films like three film strips. And we used Ken's uh, cartoon B mm -hmm. and it's the story of a life of a drone in little cartoon frames that run across from basically Aww. birth to death. <laughs> With that, um, that, that big meme that's going around uh, honey nut Cheerio. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who haven't caught on to that, think about it for a little while. Break those words apart. It'll it'll make sense. Um, but yes, so it, it's kind of along those lines. You know, he starts off and he's all like relaxed and lazy and, you know, being weighted on hand and foot. And he goes out and he drinks and he parties and starts chasing girls and he's chasing a little queen bee. And then if he succeeds and he finally catches her, you know, then there's this little wahoo moment. And then all of a sudden his mind's blown and he dies. And right, that's that. Exactly. So. It was a cute little cartoon montage that we did, and we used Ken's uh, little cartoon B image to do it. So nice. um, I was actually I was gonna wear it, but since how I had actually just gotten it in, I always like I always wash all my stuff first. I don't like all the chemicals yeah, and dyes chemicals and everything that come that with it. Stuff. Yeah, so they all they all have to go in the wash first. But that yeah. is actually available on the Hive Jive website, and uh, you can go to thehivejive.com and check that out. The other two that are up there at the moment is the the drawing of the bee that uh, Jorge Mata did and yeah. that I went through and stylized. And then there is the uh, big down under for everybody in Australia. We've got the, the hive jive. We're big down under with the, the state outline or the, the state, <laughs> the country outline of Australia down underneath there with it too. continent 
Whatever. Anybody can wear that one. Anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's got innuendo to it. So what else? Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so those are, those are out there for everybody to go through. If you want to check those out and uh, I need to, I, I went back and forth. I had originally on the site, they were the images of the shirts themselves with people wearing them. And then I changed it to just the image of the shirt. Well, just the image that's on the shirt so that you can see it better. I think I'm going to switch it back to the images of people wearing the shirts and then put the blown up image as an option as you scroll through so that you can see it better. Right. Um, but I don't like the way that it looks when it just comes up that way. So that's neither here nor there. But the shirt was cute. That was the point of it. It was it was a random little idea. And when you said that, what would bees do that? Uh, yeah. yeah, we need some stickers. We need some shirts. That would right. That would exactly. Yeah. What would bees, what would the bees do without us messing and interfering with them all the time? Ah, uh, gracious. Well, so there you go, everybody. Hopefully uh, that gave you a little bit of insight into what you can do if you do find a late fall swarm or if you have done a removal late in the season or you've got colonies that maybe just not be up to snuff or up to par. And, you know, what can I do to make sure they survive? Hopefully this little chat about combining colonies and late winter, well, late season swarms going into winter, what you might be able to do with that to help yourself out and help the bees out along the way. And uh, I have no idea what we'll be talking about next week, but uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> I'm sure we'll come up with something. It's like I'm we sure. can never stop talking bees. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and uh, you know, in, in my defense, I literally just tossed everything out the window this whole last week for vacation. So We'll, we'll have another actual subject matter for everybody next week. We'll come up with that here in the, the following days and get that out there for everyone. But again, thank you all for tuning in and enjoying. And until then, everybody be good. Be mindful. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.